0: You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit, of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Well, good morning, church. My name is Garrett Lobsher. I am the family minister here. And last week we dedicated babies, and we're skipping right ahead. And this week we're celebrating graduates because it'll be it'll be about a week. It'll seem like a week, and she'll be graduating, right? Um, So uh, we don't have any graduates here at First Service, so we're not going to go through all of that, but um, just want to mention we're celebrating with Latine Vo um, and Sydney Robertson, who are both uh, graduating from Lafayette High School, and we're celebrating with Jacob Osborne, who is graduating from Jamestown High School, Um, and then Matt Penfold, who graduated um, from Lafayette, Jamestown, Um, years ago. He just graduated this year from med school, so he's gone on from here and done great things, and has more school ahead of him, I'm sure. I don't know what all that means, med school. But um, so, so we're celebrating with Matt as well. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you. Um, out on the table, there is their pictures and a little bag where you can put, you can write a note and just slip it in there. Or if you want to get them a gift or give them cash, I'm sure they would love that. Um, so out there on that table, you'll see that. And that'll be up next week as well. So we're, we're celebrating graduates as a family, and we want to encourage them and celebrate with them. And so that's one way that you can, can do that. Um, next service, we'll, uh, when, when they're here, we'll, we'll have them up front and, uh, and pray with them and, and have a commissioning over them. Um, so last week, like I said, we, we talked about, uh, this is too high again, it got up. We talked about, uh, we, we dedicated babies and we talked about Jesus' definition for family um, and how he kind of messed that up for us. He redefined family in a new way. Uh, today we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 9, if you want to go ahead and turn there, if you have your Bibles or your, your phone, your apps, um, John chapter 9 is where we're going to be. We're going to look at a miracle um, that Jesus did and we're going we're gonna to talk about not missing the miracle, not missing um, what God had, has for us today right in front of us so that we don't miss the miracle that Jesus had for us. Because we live in a world where our culture is, is obsessed with knowledge, right? We, we need to have knowledge. We have access to all of the knowledge in the world now in our pockets on our smartphones, right? We can access, we can know where to find the information, or we can know the information uh, in a matter of seconds. Um, we want to know the information. Or if you're a graduate, you want to know how to get to where you want to be in your life. You want to know what college to go to, what program to enter into, what um, school to study from. So, so we, we want to know how to get from point A to point B. We want to see the whole picture. We want to have it all planned out. Um, this, this, this is hard for us because uh, this is, uh, we, we can't always know. We can't always know the whole picture. And that's what I want to say to us today is it's okay not to know. If you're a, a graduate or, or wherever you're at in life, if you don't know the full picture, if you don't know what's coming five years down the road, it's okay not to know. Because for graduates, you're graduating from this system, right? The system that you've known your whole life. You get up every morning, you go to school, that's what you do. But it's hard for you to have any idea what to do outside of that system. When you graduate, you you exit that system. And it's hard to know what to do because you're out of the system now. What, What do we do with our lives? And for all of us here, we're in this system, right? Our culture, our politics, our consumerism, we, or, or even if we create our own systems, we like to have everything tied up in a nice, neat package, right? We create schedules and systems and, and even our uh, systematic theology to, to find comfort in, right? We, we try to find comfort in these systems and, and have things all tied up in a nice, neat package that helps us function and, and, and arrange our Arrange the furniture right in our heads, right? We, we, we like to get things all just, just set up just n- nice and neat, right? Our, our beliefs, our systems in our head that, that help us make sense of the world. Um, so we have these systems, and, and, and we, it leads to, to gatherings like this, right? Settings like this where, where we all gather and, and we all have the same belief system. And you, and you hear from a guy up here that tells you things that you already believe. Um, but, then, but then Jesus shows up. And he messes all that up, <laughs> like he did last week for us. Like, like he did two weeks ago when we talked about Pentecost Sunday. At Pentecost, when the Spirit showed up and changed things, right? He, he, he changed the way we can relate to God, and he established the church in a whole new way, a whole new system, a whole new uh, kingdom, a whole new covenant and a way that we relate to God. Or, or like last week when, when we saw that Jesus redefines family. No longer uh, is it... Um, the family we're born into or the family that we create. But Jesus says that my family is the one who hears and does the word of God, right? My mother and brothers are, are right here, the people who do and hear the word of God. So Jesus kind of comes and messes that up, right? We, we have things all tied up in a nice, neat system. And then Jesus comes and, and we have our furniture all nice and neat. And Jesus comes and turns over tables, right? And makes a big mess of things. So what I'm finding is that we need to be open to our teacher, we need to be humble followers. We need to have the postures of a student, right? We we need to always be open that there's always more to learn. But when we set up this rigidness of a system, right? When we have when we pretend to have things all figured up, all figured out, we, if, if we know um, exactly what we believe and exactly know how to get what we want, uh, th- th- then we're too rigid. We're we're not open to what Jesus might have in store for us. And Jesus shows up, and he messes things up, and he, and he reassures us that it's okay not to know. It's okay not to know what the future holds. Even he claims that, he says, not even I know some of the things in the future. And in his, in his wisdom, he says, it's not for me to know. I think we need to take comfort in that. that there's some things that aren't for us to know. Because, because we want control, right? We, we want to know everything and know all of the steps in this plan, But God asks us for faith, and he gives us just enough for the next step, right? He just asks us to take the next step, even when we can't see all of the steps ahead, right? We want to be in charge, but God asks us and demonstrates in Jesus to submit. So as much as we want a system, as much as we want that organization and that nice, neat religion, we don't find that in Jesus, The Bible isn't about a new religion. It isn't about go and make Christianity. It's not go and make America a Christian nation. It's not go and get other people to believe and think just like you. It's go and make disciples. Go and be learners. Go and be open to learning and make other people who are open to learning. Go make disciples. Be a disciple who makes disciples. So it's not a system and it's not a religion. We're to be students We're to be learners. We're to be humble and open to following our teacher, to following our rabbi. We want to believe that this is another system, right? That this is another religion, and it keeps us comfortable. But this kingdom of Jesus, this movement, is not something old. It's not another law. It's not another empire of success or materialism. It's not a system. It's not a religion. It's something new. It's a kingdom where God meets you in your failure and in your pain and in your sin and in your struggle, even against him, and, and in your powerlessness, he meets you there, and he says, I'm on your side. And for some of us, some of us, this has turned into religion, right? We've settled into this, this way of doing church or, or being a Christian, and it's not new. It's old, right? It's no longer, we're no longer a student, right? We've got our system, and, and we've got our practices, and, and, and we're set, And if someone isn't in that system, if if someone doesn't fit into that system that we've created, that we've fallen into, then they're out. But Jesus seems to be much more concerned with being a disciple, with being a follower of God, a learner, a humble servant, a student. One who assumes that there's more to learn and that we don't have it all figured out. Somebody who's open to their teacher. Someone who trusts their teacher. This means we follow him, right? We... We believe that God is at work in this world and so we figure out where that is and we join him there. Now, too often we get this backwards, right? We, we flip this around and we have our system and we have our religion and our doctrines and our theologies. We have it all figured out and we have God in a box. And we invite God to join us where we think he should work and, and where we think and the ways we think he should work. Right? We ask God to follow us. Whether it's good and God to help help me do whatever it is for for this community, or whether it's petty stuff like discussion of style of worship music or volume of worship or preferences and uh, the the appearance and how we should dress on a Sunday morning, right? Or or, or whether it's, it's bargaining with God over his call in our lives. He's called us to do something, and yet we bargain with him, and we say, I'm comfortable where I'm at. So if, you, if you're not following, if you're closed to the new things that God might have for you if, you, if you're trying to lead God back to something that you had in the past, while God is trying to lead you forward, you are not following. You're not a disciple. We need to be okay with not knowing. We need to be okay with the possibilities of just the next step, right? Because God has this habit of leading us in a way where he only reveals that next step and asks us for faith and to take that next step without a view of the whole plan. So today I want us to see, I want us to learn how to be open to what God has new for us, that we don't miss the miracle that he has for us, and that we don't sit around when we know that he's asked us to follow him. So in John chapter 9, we're going to look at a miracle. It's a miracle um, where Jesus uh, heals a a man born blind. So uh, John chapter 9, verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. He, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It seems like what they're asking here is, how does this fit in my system? How does this fit in, the, in my belief system, right? Um, we want to know. We want to have our, our belief system just right, Jesus. So, so who sinned? We, we, need, we need to know how this fits in our box. And Jesus answered, This man, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So the story is always, like, amaze me, and I just, <laughs> I think about the scene of Jesus spitting on the ground, and then, like, rubbing it in this guy's face, and the guy, the guy didn't even ask to be healed, right? He's just sitting here, his disciples pointed him out, and so the guy's just sitting here minding his own business, and all of a sudden, he's got mud in his face by somebody he doesn't even know, like just spit on the ground and rubbed it in his face. And I, and I used to think like, like Jesus is just being funny here. I, I don't know. Like what's going on, Jesus? What in the world? And if, you know, if I was that guy, I'd be like, what, what's going on? You know, you're, you're like rubbing this mud in my face. But this story, Jesus is doing something here, right? And, and, and John doesn't want us to miss it. The way, the way John's writing, something is going on here. And if we don't, if we don't look just beneath the surface, we might miss it. And so when we compare this miracle to another miracle found in John, chapter 5, we can can compare and contrast. These two miracles are similar. It's a miracle where where Jesus heals a man who couldn't walk. So there's some similarities. The similarities are that that both of these miracles involved a pool. And both of them are at Jesus' initiative, right? Neither of these men asked to be healed, right? Neither of these men um, are the ones who initiate the miracle. And both of these miracles happen on a Sabbath day, which means Jesus goes out of his way to do something illegal. Maybe we should follow Jesus' example more. Do, do more illegal... Oh, no, I'm just kidding. No. Um, and, so, and so another similarity is that both of these miracles made the Jews angry because he healed on the Sabbath. So if you look at, at John chapter 5 in this miracle, um, we can see a few lessons. First thing uh, that, 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 that I notice is that Jesus approaches the man who can't walk sitting by this pool, and he asks, do you want to be healed? Which is an incredibly profound question that could be another sermon. right? And we could all ask ourselves, and the ans- answer seems obvious, yeah, I want to be healed, yeah. But for some of us who have dealt with whatever it is for so long now, it's part of us, right? Um, and, it, and it holds us back, but we're kind of glad it holds us back. We're kind of comfortable where we are. And the healing would bring with it responsibility. Healing would remove the excuses to not be a disciple. And we don't want to get up and walk, right? We don't want to get up and follow. We're perfectly comfortable right where you are. In my dreams, when, when I have dreams, I walk. Okay, so, so I'm in my dreams, and when I realize I'm walking, I think, oh no, where's my wheelchair? Which is weird, I don't know, I, I, I don't know about these dreams. So, so I'm looking for my wheelchair because I think, this isn't going to last very long. I'm only walking for a second. This isn't, this isn't right. And I feel bad, like I've been lying to people that I can't walk. You know, like I'm just, I'm just in a wheelchair and I couldn't really walk. Like I feel, you know, like it's a weird feeling in, in my dreams. But I'm looking for my wheelchair, right? Um, and I get frustrated with people in my life sometimes that I, that I see go back to their old ways, right? I see go back to that same old addiction, that same old life, that same old religion, that same old unhealthy relationship, and they go back to something old and something comfortable, right? Something that they, they fall back into, that same old addiction. But in my dreams, I'm the same way, right? I'm, I'm looking for my wheelchair. Like, like I've been healed in my dreams, but I want to go back to what's comfortable. So, so this used to be new for me, right? Like, like five years ago when, I was first, when this first happened to me, this was new, but now it's part of who I am. It's part of, it's part of my comfort. Like, like, my, like without my chair, I'm worried. Like, like when my chair gets away from me, I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> what am I going to do? So this has become comfortable for me. And so I, I wonder if Jesus asked me, do you want to be healed? I wonder what I would say. Because the man answers, the man's answer isn't really an answer in, in John chapter 5. You know, do you want to be healed? And, and the man starts to answer, and what he talks about is this ritual. What he talks about is, is all of the external elements that he thinks he needs, right? His belief system, his box that he has got in. In order for me to be healed, I'm going to need this, this, and this. And so he says, you know, Jesus, I yeah, I want to be healed, but when the pool is stirred, you know, when, when the Spirit of God, the belief was that the, when the pool was stirred, it was the Spirit of God, and whoever got into the pool first got healed. He says, but the, when the pool is stirred, there's nobody to help me into the pool. Somebody always gets there before me. So his answer focused on this, this ritual, this belief, this, these external elements that he thought he needed to receive healing and jesus ignores all of those elements right he ignores the ritual and he just heals the man he's like get up and walk you don't need the pool you don't need any of that he says all you need is me all you need is jesus basically he says the ritual gets in the way i can heal you without the ritual and he shows that he shows us that he has that he is a new way and those ways that you think you need those those things that you think you need that pool that ritual, that's an old way, right? And Jesus says, I am the way now. This is completely new. That plan you had, that was old. This is something new. And so fast forward to our, our miracle in, uh, in John chapter 9, where Jesus goes out of his way to create this elaborate ritual. Like, like, like he goes out of his way to do a ritual that didn't, didn't have to happen. So, so we have the, the, this John chapter 5 miracle where Jesus ignores the ritual, and then we have this John chapter 9 uh, miracle where Jesus creates a ritual. Because um, <laughs> this kind of borders on hazing, right? Like, you want to be in the club? I'm going to have to spit on your face. You know, like, like this, is, this is what you've got to do to get the healing, like, it's, 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 it's kind of rough on Jesus. And the guy is blind, and, he's, and he rubs dirt on his face, and he tells him to go to the pool. The guy's blind. How's he going to get to the pool? Like, thanks a lot, Jesus. okay, like, whatever you say. Um, so there's this crazy ritual that, that Jesus does, um, and, and, and he kind of creates these requirements for the healing. If you want to get healed, you've got to go to the pool. And so, so we have almost contradicting lessons here within these two miracles I mean, Jesus is healed from. He he didn't need the ritual. He's healed from far away. He's 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 uh, healed a sick person without even going to their house. You know, he's healed with just words. He's healed a lady without even intending to. Right? She tuxed, She touched his his clothes, and she was healed. So this elaborate thing—the spit and the mud and the pool—what is Jesus doing? What, because he's up to something, right? John is writing in a way so that we don't miss it. We need to discover these meanings. We need to see this God who created and who loves us. So let's look at, the, let's look at these elements. All right? Let's start with the pool. Because the purpose of a miracle is to confirm that Jesus is who he says he is. When he, when he does a miracle, it's not necessarily for the person being healed because they still, he, he fixes them up for a while, but they still die later on. Right? So, so the miracle is to confirm that Jesus is who he says he is. So let's look at this pool, Siloam. There's this pool. And this pool is significant. In Jewish culture, uh, Jewish culture was a, a culture of storytelling. So they told stories, and, and they remembered their history. They told stories um, about their scriptures and about um, their, their spiritual ancestors and heroes. And so one of these stories was about the prophet Isaiah. And, and the prophet, and, and the story goes that, that he was um, near the end of his life. Uh, he was out in the desert, and, and he was about to die. He was near death in the wilderness, and he cries out to God for help. And God helps him by somehow giving him a drink from the pool of Siloam. So, so somehow um, Isaiah's not near the pool, right? He's not near the pool of Siloam. He's in the desert, and he cries out to God, and, and God heals him by giving him a drink from the pool of Siloam. So so miraculously, God transports this water from, from the pool of Siloam to Isaiah. Oh, you weren't even looking. Last time I got you, I think I've done this before where I got you. So, so th- there wasn't any water in that cup, it's just so you know. Um, so he transports this water to, to Isaiah, and somehow he drinks it, and he is saved. And the story goes on, and the belief goes on, and the Jewish people had this hope. Um, they called this story the sign of Siloam. There was this hope that there would be a second sign of Siloam. A sign that confirmed the Messiah. A sign that indicated that the one doing this miracle, this second sign of Siloam, would be the Messiah. saying, you know that sign of Siloam you guys know? That story you know? Well, the, here's the second sign. I'm, I'm the guy that you're waiting for. That's me, right? It's a, it's a subtle little indication that Jesus is the second sign of Siloam that they were waiting for. He's saying that pool called sent, I'm the sent one. I'm the Messiah that God has sent into the world. And so let's get to the mud. And so the mud is very significant because when you realize that this story is not a healing story. If you go back to the beginning, you see that this man was blind from birth. So this man was not healed. He never had sight. This is a creation story. Right, so, so I don't know um, the guy, if he didn't have eyes, if, if the brain didn't connect to the optic nerve. I don't know what he needed to see, but he never had it. All right, so this isn't a healing story, it's a creation story. So his sight is not restored, it's created. Jesus creates something new, right? It did not exist before. He created something new where there was nothing. This is not a healing story, this is a creation story. So when we see mud, when we see dirt, when we see dust in the Bible, that should alert our minds to go back to the creation story where God created something out of nothing, where God created us from the clay, from the dust of the earth. And then he intimately breathes into us life. So the mud that Jesus creates here by spitting on the ground and making mud, this is a creation story. Jesus is saying, I'm not just a healer, I'm not just a restorer, I'm the creator. And so we see God form us from the dust of the ground and breathe life into us. And Jesus bends down into the dirt. And we wonder what he wrote. Remember that, that story where he bends down and he writes in the dirt and it doesn't tell us what he wrote in the dirt? I think, I think whatever he wrote wasn't the message. I think the medium was the message. He was writing in dirt. He was reminding us that we were created from dirt, that God created us from nothing, He was reminding us that I created this woman caught in sin and I created all of you who want to stone her. He's reminding us that he is the creator. So Jesus spits on the ground, very intimate, right? Like spit, saliva, kissing, all that sloppy wet kiss song. <laughs> um, he spits on the ground, he makes mud to open the eyes of the man born blind and everyone else that was watching, right? Because, because we were all blind at some point. So he opens our eyes to the fact that, this, that Jesus is not just a healer, that he's creator. He's God in the flesh, creator of the world, coming here not just to repair and restore and rebuild, but to create new, to bring about something that hasn't existed before, a new way, a new covenant, a whole new way of following God. And what if we took that seriously? What if we approached God with this anticipation that he has something new for us, something we never knew we always wanted, right? Not just asking God to restore things to the way they were, which he does and he cares about. He fixes us. He heals us. But what if we were open to the new things that God had for us, saying, God, I want this new thing that you have for me that I don't even know I want yet, right? Not just getting back to something we had before, but getting past that to something new. When I was first in a wheelchair, people told me that I would walk again, that they were praying for me to walk again, that, you know, don't lose hope. And, and I, I, I don't know how I felt about that because all I wanted was to be okay with where I was. I just wanted to be okay with, with what I still have. You know, I, I, I wasn't trying to get back to something. I wasn't trying to get back to walking. I wanted to move forward in whatever way I needed to move forward. Maybe maybe I will be healed and walk. I don't know. But God has something new for me, and I don't want to go back to anything, I want to move forward with the something new that He has for me. So this has major implications on our understanding and on the people who are witnessing this miracle of who Jesus is. He is creator, He is the Messiah, He is God. And the rest of this chapter is all of the people responding to the miracle and misunderstanding and missing the miracle. Right? The, the ones who missed it are the ones like us. right? The ones who we know our Bible. We're, we're committed Christians. We're spiritual leaders of that day. Or people like me on stage, the professionals, right? The ones who study and form the doctrines and the practices and the rituals to be followed. Those are the ones who missed the miracle here. Let's look at John chapter 9, verse 13. So they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees, right? The professionals. Let's explain this. How is this going to fit into our box? How is this going to fit into our system of belief? See, because the day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath, so the Pharisees asked him how he received sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed, and I can see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was division among them. There was misunderstanding. There was confusion. This isn't fitting into our system of belief. What's going on here? So skip down again to verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God, right? Fit into our system of belief. Fit into this box. We know this man's a sinner. He answered them, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind And now I can see. It didn't fit into their belief system. It wasn't a healing. It was creation. It caused confusion and questions among his friends and his followers and the people there. The man explained what happened, but it didn't fit into their system. It didn't fit into their worldview. They had this nice, neat theology, this nice, neat format of what the future held. And this man coming and creating sight where there was never sight didn't fit into that nice, neat package which God usually doesn't. So they decided to go to the experts to go figure out how to fit God back into their box. But again, this isn't about a system. This isn't about a religion. This is about being a follower of God, being a student, having a posture of a student, humble and open to the possibilities that God might have something new for us. We should be figuring out where God is working and join him there. We should be disciples who are humble and searching and following, and open. And the Bible's full of these stories where people are oblivious to God all around them, and I think that's what Jesus came to show us, to open our eyes to God all around us. Now that's our job. We're, We're the body of Christ. Church is not a place you go to meet God. It's a group of people whose eyes are open and have been open to the fact that God is all around us and at work all the time. So when we meet together and we sing and we teach and we worship, We remember that God is here, and that changes who we are and how we interact with the world around us. It happened to Jacob. There's a story in Genesis where Jacob, he was running from his past, and he finds a place on the side of the road, and he rests his head on a rock, and he has a dream about a ladder and angels ascending and descending in and out of heaven to earth. In Genesis 28, 16 and 17, it says this, When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord... Is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Jacob's eyes are opened to see what he was not aware of. God is at work all around us. So what will it take for the Pharisees to have their eyes open to this miracle taking place right before? And what will it take for the spiritual leaders, for us as Christians, to be open to the miracle, to be open to something new, to be open to God working in this world, what will it take for us to have our eyes open so that we won't miss the miracle? Well, there's a few things that make us miss the miracle, right? The, the ones missing the miracle were the ones who claimed to know. They were the ones that already decided how God works, and he doesn't work outside of that. He only works this, this way, this way that we've, the system that we've set up for him to work in, that's how God works. So there's two ways that we can miss the miracle. If we have our theology and our belief so tied up in a nice, neat package, we might miss the miracle. If we believe all the right stuff, all the furniture in our head is arranged the right way, what we see is Jesus shows up and wrecks everything, right? For the ones who had it all together, the Pharisees, Jesus shows up not telling them, hey, good job for having everything straight. But he really messes up everything they've built their whole lives on. And it's sad that Christianity, especially in America, has been splintered into a thousand denominations so that you can join a church that believes exactly like you believe, right? exactly down to the instruments and the preferences and the order of the service and the language that we use. The other way you could miss a miracle is if you have a nice, neat format for what the future holds. right? The future is going to be like this. If we believe that, then we may miss the miracle. Because all of our lives take those detours. Right, those unexpected economic collapses and sicknesses and jobs and accidents and spinal cord injuries, right? Those things that make us who we are. God uses these circumstances and these places in ways that we never to, never expect. See, when I wrecked my car on that rainy Sunday after church four years ago, my life was interrupted and the future that I thought I knew was drastically changed. But if I had a set belief on what the future held, God wouldn't have fit into that box, right? If, if I believed that my future was this, this, and this, and then that happened and changed all of that, God wouldn't have fit. I had to be open to the possibility that God could work even through bad things. And John doesn't want us to miss this miracle. And John writes his book in a way, his gospel in a way that we don't miss the miracle he's one that, that numbers the miracles, right? He starts out, Jesus' first miracle was this. Jesus' second miracle was this. And when he starts numbering, he wants us to notice there's a sequence here. There's an order here. There's a number thing going on. Jewish writers were very brilliant that way. So there's, there's eight signs in John's, in John's uh, gospel. The first sign where he turns water into wine. The second sign, second sign he heals uh, a centurion's son. Uh, the third sign is in chapter five that we talked about. Fourth sign is uh, the sign of the bread, uh, feeding the 5,000. The fifth sign is Jesus walking on water. The sixth sign we talked about is in John chapter nine. The seventh sign is when Laz- he tells Lazarus to come out of the tomb, right? There's the resurrection of Lazarus. And then there's no more signs for a while, right? That was in John chapter 11, and then there's no more signs. Until the eighth sign, when Jesus raises from the dead. So there's seven signs for seven days of the week, right? Seven days in creation. And then the eighth sign, a new week has begun. So there's one sign for each day of creation. And then there's an eighth sign, indicating that there's a new week beginning, something new A new creation has begun. Resurrection inaugurates not an old creation, but it's Sunday, the first day of a new creation. So Jesus is about starting a new creation right here in the midst of the old one, right? He came down, he came in the flesh, he takes upon himself the brokenness and the violence and the corruption and the pain, and he takes it to the grave and he leaves it there. And now we live in this new creation. We live in anticipation that the that there is going to be a day when God's dwelling place will be with us. Right? We, we live in this already not yet fully reality that the kingdom has come, but not yet fully. So don't miss that eighth miracle. Don't miss any of the miracles. Be open, be a disciple, be a humble learner, trusting your teacher, be open to resurrection that a new week has started and it won't be like last week. This is a new week. We are becoming a new humanity. The old has gone. The new has come. With resurrection, power to heal and to fix what is broken, to be light in the darkness, you are being made new. Don't miss God making all things new. This is my first time coming off of this with my new chair. I got, I got a new wheelchair. It has, it has shocks, so it's bouncy. <laughs> Yeah, see. Okay, I did it. I didn't fall. Still getting used to it. Because the resurrection power is making all things new. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adored for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look! God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer. Because the previous things have passed away, the one who is seated on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. Some of you are disciples. Some of you are disciples and your students and you're learners and you're following your rabbi and you're making disciples and you are my heroes, right? You are the ones who are doing and following what Jesus said. You're my family, right? You hear God's word and you do God's word. And some of you, some of you have heard God's word. You know, some of you have, have been awakened to Jesus and the reality of who he is, but you haven't moved, right? You're, you're hearing, but you're not doing. Some of you have have written Jesus off altogether. Let me assure you that Jesus has something new for you. If you've written him off, if, if you're sick and tired of this, can I assure you that you haven't seen the new things that God has for you? That there is something that you haven't seen yet? Jesus is still creating new, and he wants to do that in your life. So may you be open to the new things God has for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for creating us, for loving us, for inviting us into your kingdom, for Jesus who showed us the way, who is the way. God, I pray that we might be open to all of the things you have for us, all of the new things you are still creating in our lives and the lives around us. Lord, may we be awakened to where you are at work all around us and may we join you there. Lord, help us not to go back to those old ways but stay walking with you, becoming new every day. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.